Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spotting off about the age of building PCs is coming to an end. So let's get into episode 46. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Bitwarden. With me today is the New Year's party, the Tux Digital Network, Wendy, and Matt, who's as much fun as putting away Christmas decorations. How are you two? I am doing pretty good. I'm excited to talk to Matt this week, though. Really? Uh, Yes. I'm not excited to talk to Matt. I'm kidding. I'm always excited to talk to Matt. (laughs) Nate, the feelings mutual on the first part. I don't know about the second part. I don't care if the feelings mutual or not. I'm always excited to talk to you, Matt. You're my favorite internet curmudgeon. Bah oh. <laughs> Nate, just because I dislike putting away decorations and putting them up to begin with, here's your bah humbug. Well, I can't help it that you are a Scrooge and a wet blanket on the Christmas fun, but that's okay. Yes, I do occasionally <laughs> use Scrooge on plasma. Thanks. Oh yeah, we talked about that. I'm K-Money all the way. K-My Money. I'm sorry. Matt, I'm really excited because I finally got to play Among Us with you and I had Yay! so much fun with you and Wendy. And I was a little disappointed that there weren't other of the uh, Tux Digital Network folks that could join. I know like Jill wasn't feeling well. I don't know what uh, Ryan's excuse or what Michael's excuse was. Well, I mean, to be fair, he did pick New Year's Eve in order to do this. So a lot of people already had plans. And it's not like he was really loud about the fact that he was going to be playing Among Us finally on new year's eve but i do love the fact that you said that you had fun Mm -hmm. and i do have that audio so if you stayed around for the extra time on the last episode you did get to hear that clip and i'll paste that back in here right now i don't i don't know what you're referring to (laughs) (laughs) yes i will say i have played among us and i've been having Fun. So how was it, Matt? How how was it? It was fine. It was a typical multiplayer game for the most part. Run around. Other than I will say that the servers are a bit flaky, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, they were. They definitely were. Because regardless of what we did, if one of us hosted it, if another one hosted it, it was just it was flaky. Yeah. We did have a few community members join the stream as well. Mark. Which was awesome. And then, you know, we had uh, a few others. That was fun. I know Wendy's one of your kids joined in, Nate, as well as one of yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even Magneto joined in for a little bit. That was fun. I'm just going to simply say, I did notice that a lot of the problems started around when Magneto joined. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I mean, it's technology, so. <laughs> that it is. But uh, it was fun. It's definitely, for me, it's one of those games that it's like most multiplayer games. As long as you got the right group of people, it can be fun. It's when... I don't see myself playing it just to play it, though. Right. Yeah, I have to agree. I find it a lot of fun to play with people I know, but it's not something that I ever pick up if I'm just going to jump on and play. Like, it has to be with friends or family, something like that. I think it's a lot more fun that way. I don't ever just jump into a server and play. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've uh, tried like jumping in on a server and I just didn't have fun. But like if I have my kids playing along with me, totally fun. Which, by the way, Matt, you uh, somehow restarted or jump started the Among Us obsession in the house again. As I was getting out ready to record, I noticed my oldest had Among Us on his laptop running. So I guess thanks for that. I mean, I guess better Among Us than Fortnite. One works natively on Linux. The other one, you have to use a workaround and stream it on to Linux. <laughs> 
Right. Exactly. Overall, though, among us, was it as bad as you thought it would be? Like, did you really think it was all? I mean, because you really were dragging your heels on it. And do do you feel like it was maybe a little unjustified? I was not dragging my heels. I said it was... I mean, bull crap. (laughs) There was a total heel drag and there's like... Canyons from you dragging your feet. Hey, Wendy. Yeah? There's a couple of bad Wendy's in there, by the way. I know, and you deserved every single one of them. Yeah. She's not wrong. I don't know what you mean. I was totally not dragging my feet. I didn't totally wait until the last three hours of the entire year to go and stream in order to fulfill a commitment that I made that it would be by the end of the year. I don't know what you mean. I would never drag my heels. I would say at least you played it. You did do it. Before the end of the year, only just barely, but nonetheless, barely. just barely at, by the end of the year, you did play it. And I had fun. If more people had joined it, I think it would have been more fun. Right. It's a low commitment kind of a game. You know, you don't build up a character or whatever. So when you die, it's like, oh, it's the end of the world or whatever. You know, like it's not as irritating. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. To me, it's just fun. And I enjoyed killing you, Matt. Just It was fun. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was kind of fun. I enjoyed that too, because I got to kill him at least once. Probably the only chance I'll ever get. Okay, so seeing how Wendy had a few different bad Wendy's. Here's your bad Matt. <laughs> Wendy backstabber. <laughs> <laughs> Going along, doing my thing, and all of a sudden, <laughs> freaking Jason Voorhees me into the back. You're welcome. And that's what makes it fun, I think. Just that right? little bit of chaos. Exactly. So while I'm busy playing new software as far as video games, Wendy, it looks like you're looking for new software for your 3D printer again. I am. So I haven't ever installed new software on my 3D printer, but... I'd been doing some reading and things that a different software, so I'll just drop it in the show notes, will actually perform better on my machine than the software that MicroReality Ender 5 Plus comes with. So all Ender 5s come with the exact same firmware on them. And according to some of the stuff that I've read, that this software change, and I can use the stock board that I have in there now because I haven't switched any of that out, but using the stock board that I have on there now, this can definitely help make some of those prints smoother. It's got some better steppers and overall just make it work better because I've been getting overwhelmed looking at upgrades for my 3D printer, and this is what's been happening since we got it. I want to upgrade. I start looking at all the upgrade possibilities and I hyperventilate and don't do anything because there's so many and I can't pick and choose. So there's the direct drive hot end, what I absolutely want done. And then I want to change everything instead of using the wheels to drive the X and Y axis and the screws driving the Z axis. I want to change them all out into different and I will include the links below the stuff that I want to change that out to one to make it quieter and two to make it so of course the little variations in the wheels can have little defects in your print that you just can't really do anything about because those wheels aren't necessarily completely smooth and so changing those out would be really nice and while the z-axis that really doesn't affect the print as far as quality. Mine is noisy, and I did my absolute best to make sure that the build plate was as level as possible, but it never fails. 
every single time I go to drop that bed down when a print's done, it screeches and it is ear splitting. And I don't know what else I can do in order to fix that. So I just want to swap all of those out. I would also like to change out the motherboard. So you did that, Nate, because you ended up having a problem and needing to. And I'm kind of curious, did you stick with the stock Creality software firmware or did you switch that out to another one as well? I left it the stock firmware. So I just left what's on there. It is much quieter. I can barely hear it running. There are no noises. Also, the prints are smoother too, which I thought was kind of surprising. Nice. And so that's kind of, you know, and that's cool. So there's definitely multiple advantages to your board switch out. Yes. I had read someplace and I could be way wrong here and I don't mean to send you down the the wrong bunny trail, but I thought there was a way you could upgrade the software on the older board so that it would do that anyway. Yeah. So it wouldn't be necessary to upgrade the board. That's my understanding. I could be wrong on that. I've read numerous times people changing the software to get better performance out of it. I haven't researched that piece of it. But I do know that those do exist out there because I, I read early on when I got the Ender 3, I read about all this stuff and how people quieted it down in different ways. They did it to include like a one foot by one foot patio brick they put underneath it to absorb the sounds oh, and everything else. Wow. Yeah, there's all kinds of different things you can do. Honestly, just changing. So I have mine in an enclosure and then the enclosure plus the quieter stepper action has essentially made the printer almost like eerily quiet where I don't hear it and then I don't know if it's working. I sort of miss the sound. I'm kind of in the opposite boat as you, I guess. <laughs> That's kind of where I am I am at with it. And I'm I'm actually I'm very happy with the performance of it. It's not as good as your Ender 5. My printer is not as good. It doesn't have as much dual side like screws for the Z axis and oh, the yeah. single. So it's really actually yours is better. But I'm happy with mine where it is right now. At this point, I have a frame for another 3D printer. It was my first 3D printer I bought that was basically a piece of um, garbage. I want to rebuild that and actually put a different motherboard in it and actually like I want to trick it out, put some vinyl stickers on it and a fart pipe, make it sound great. (laughs) Fast and the Furious for 3D printers. But no, I just just need another 3D printer because I got them running so much now. I'm impatient. I can't wait for this and to get done for the next thing. So So you got multiple prints going on at the same time instead of just waiting for one. Exactly. I have an Octopi version of Octoprint running that as well. And so that kind of manages the, I do it all remotely so I don't mess with the SD card anymore. Putting in an SD card manually, like walking it over, that's how cavemen 3D print. So I don't want to do that anymore either. (laughs) And that's what I'm still doing. And that's one of the things that I want to do is have Octoprint set up so that I'm not having to do that anymore. And just some of the other stuff that you can do in software to make things better. Because my printer still wants to put that horrible line right through the middle of where I'm going to have a print going through. And I have no idea where that's coming from because it's definitely not in the G code that I'm putting down and it's come through both slicers that I've used. Right now I'm currently using the Prusa slicer, which works fantastic. I love all the tweaks that you can do in that one. And it still has this stupid little line that will not only run up the side, but then diagonal into the center of the print bed. And I can't get rid of that. And I wonder if it's somewhere inside that main board software. I don't know because it's definitely not in my G code. So we're going to have to see, play with it. I think that'll make a difference if I can go ahead and update that software. So that's what I'm going to do, of course, first, because I can do that without picking another upgrade, which I'm now buying and which one comes next. Because what also throws me off with these is if I go ahead and do the direct drive print head 
first, and then I go to do the guide rails instead of the wheels for how things are running and the belt for my Z-axis, is that going to make it difficult for all of that stuff to mount? I just don't know. And it's the unknown part of it that makes me go, I'm not sure what to do first. And probably the best thing to do first would be the direct drive, because overall, that's probably going to have some of the best quality changes for my actual prints mm-hmm. over the guide rails. But I wish that I could have my 3D printer super, super quiet. Right now, I do have it in another room. So it started out in my bedroom way, way too noisy. I mean, I can block the light that was on the screen because that always wakes me up too. Like I really need a super dark room. But it was the noise and the squeaks and all of that stuff going on that made it really hard to be in this room with me. So then it moved out to the dining room. It was there for quite a while. But then you have so many people walking by it, these long prints. I'm always worried that things are going to get bumped or whatnot. And it just really wasn't a great place, especially with the kitchen so close. Now, with all the rearranging I've done the last few weeks, week, two weeks, anyway, it's now in the spare room with the cricket. And I think that'll be an excellent home for it. But now, how do I start working through some of these things to end up with better prints? Because it's been okay. But there's stuff that I would definitely like to make better in order to have higher quality prints, to be able to play with more things, make some more stuff, have the kids really be able to play with it. So that's kind of in the track that I'm at now that it's in that room. And I think I'll wait to build the box around it until I have done the stepper motors because you were able to use the Ikea type case. And mine is just so big that that doesn't work for mine. Like it does have some amazing features, some advantages over the under threes, but size-wise, especially where I have the plus, like there's a lot of these tricks in building cases for it that I just can't use because it's so big. And if I take it to having the guide rails instead of those wheels, it actually reduces the size of what sticks out. And so I can make a tighter, cleaner case overall for it, not need as much plexiglass in Mm -hmm. building that. The rail system kind of needs to come before the case does. And it's just picking something, deciding I'm going to do it and actually doing it and being too wishy-washy. Yeah. I'd have to like really see it because I haven't actually seen an under five. I've just seen pictures of it. So I don't know in relation how much bigger it is. My print bed is... 400 by 400 by 300 millimeters, I believe. It's quite a bit bigger, I think, than mine. I'd have to double check, but I know the numbers are right around that range. Like, it is pretty large in comparison to a lot of printers, which was fantastic. Like, I can do quite a few different things in a single print and not have to worry about it, especially if they're little things. Like, I can print lots on that print bed. It's now just zeroing everything in and making it work better, cleaner, quieter, more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is 220 by 220. I think I can go like 300 or tall or something like that. Yes, yours is quite a bit bigger then. Quite a bit bigger. Yeah, and then I've got the Z-axis that moves just up and down and the X and Y is what the print head does, which is really nice, not having that bed actually shifting. Right. It's one of the reasons why I went with that. So, okay, so it's 350 by 350 by 400. So my my bigger number is actually in my Z. On the frame, you can put plexiglass on the side, which you did state already. And then I don't know about doors in the front. Maybe there's a nice kit for that. And I haven't really seen one, but I think these are things that are pretty easy to 
do, especially with all the stuff that's already out there to 3D print. I can mm-hmm. just take something that is made for an Ender 3, made for a regular Ender 5, and just upscale it. The Ender 3 is so underwhelming that people had no choice but to make upgrades to it. The winning proposition with it is because it's so bad. It's not really bad, but it's so, it needs <laughs> so much, it's so basic that you have to do something with it. I'd have to say it's a pretty awesome machine, but we had some listener feedback a while ago that was like, hey, why didn't you build your own 3D printer? And with the research that I've done now, I think it's kind of like I bought pre-builts for a while when it came to computers and that was great. And then after you built your own, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Why haven't I done this all my life? Uh And so I'm kind of thinking that the next 3D printer we have, because I'm sure I'll get to the point like you where I need multiple 3D printers, the next one will be a custom build. And so just buying one and then putting additional money into it where I'm upgrading it, I can just start from this is what I want. Mm-hmm. If it were me, if I were in your shoes, which I'm not, although we wear the same kind of shoes. That we do. The Vibram Five Finger Shoes. I'd definitely get that direct drive print head and then find a way to enclose it. I would say those are the, my first two, just for the quality of prints, right? That's going to be a, a huge win. And then I think if you want to upgrade or mess with the firmware on it, I think you can do that basically for nothing. Yeah, yeah, I can do that for nothing. I've already got the board that I can run Octopi on. I can already use the existing board. Problem I've had is just some of the instructions. Like... The instructions of flashing the new firmware onto it are, they feel a bit sketchy. Like, I don't feel like there's a good A, B, C, D, this is how we do it. Like, I need a Sesame Street version of this is how we go through it. Now, I was probably the same way when it came to flashing a ROM on my phone for the first time. And now I've done it so many times. I'm like, "Eh," you know, it's not a big deal. That's probably why I messed it up last time I did it when I upgraded from... Lineage OS 19.1 to 20 on Monday is because I was too blasé and then didn't fully read the instructions. Got it fixed. It's fine. 20 is great. But that's a side note. So I wish I had some better clear instructions for this. And there's probably just some of them I need to go through better. I need to watch the whole process and then do it because the worst thing would be bricking it, right? Like I can always buy a new motherboard or whatever, but I really don't want to brick the system. Right, exactly. Do it very carefully. Maybe there's some YouTube videos out there. I'm sure there are. I've actually pulled one up. They're just like crazy long and I haven't had time to sit through the whole process. And the one was starting out like really dry, kind of like the video that you reviewed, Matt, and the repeating of things that didn't need to be repeated. And my intention span is not that good. I don't know what video you speak of, Wendy. Yeah, we'll just leave it all like mysterious there. (laughs) Hardware is something that you're also dealing with, Nate, but this could be more of a serious issue with RAM death. Was this on your main system or something else? This is on my main laptop. I have an HP EliteBook 840G7 I got in uh, 2020. And I was having these weird errors and I wasn't sure what was going on. And I didn't want to tell Matt because he'd be like, oh, your open source is failing you, blah, blah, blah. That's how Matt would be. So I was doing some digging. I got these different errors with a ButterFS saying it had like mismatches and whatnot. Let me actually look it up here so I wrote it down. The error code name is OpenSUSE. Right. Yes. You'd say something silly like that. It was giving me a warning that the device, the NVMe device had a CSUM failed. It gave me these conflicting numbers basically. And it was just saying error after error after error. And I'm like, well, this is not good. It happened like right before Christmas, like the week before I noticed this. And I'm like, well, what do I do? Digging through, I thought maybe like the NVMe was feeling. That'd be my first thought is right. You know, with being these drive errors, it's probably the NVMe. I did like the smart, you know, the, the smart scan thing, the uh, where it goes through and, and checks the drive. 
and everything passed. And then I read on like a stack exchange or somewhere that it could be a RAM failure. I'm like, well, that would suck. I you know, jumped into MemTest and had that run. And then I had some 272 RAM errors. Now, when I bought the thing, it had an eight gigabyte stick. And then I put in a 32 gigabyte you know, SODIM inside of it, a PC4 21,300, whatever it is, however you call it, DDR4 memory, 2,667 megahertz memory. I just assumed, well, it was probably the memory that I put in that failed. And so I'm, I'm like, well, what do I do here? I don't really want to spend the money on memory, but I, I found a deal for a 32 gigabyte module to throw into it, you know, assuming that it was the, the 32 that went bad. So I did not then notice that actually HP has internal diagnostics that you can actually run much quicker than MemTest and actually do these scans a lot quicker. I ran that test and it ended up being that my 8 gigabyte stick failed, which came from HP, not my 32 gigabyte. So that was kind of a relief. The new stick of memory came in, put it in HP. And so now I have elite book with 64 gigabytes of RAM. I don't know how I'm going to even use that. I can't imagine needing to upgrade this machine anytime soon, except for maybe like the CPU just not being able to cut it anymore. The 10th gen i5. It seems to be great now. I have quite literally no problems with it at all. It's doing pretty great. And so I did like a little video on like why I think that the elite book is such a great design for working on it. I'm a big believer in right to repair. Mm-hmm. One of the nice things about the elite book, the pan on the bottom that you pull off to access everything except for the keyboard. You have to take more things out for that. That's another topic for another time. The screws are actually captive in that pan. So you can't actually lose the screws. You unscrew it and the screws stay in that pan. So they took that extra bit of time to make sure you don't lose screws on this machine. Then everything is easy to remove on it. Everything is very serviceable in the machine. And it's actually quite nice. I mean, it's easy to access. No, the memory is not soldered in. The M.2 is not soldered in. There's no, then the storage is not soldered in. Nothing is soldered in on it. Your WAN, if you want it, or your wireless interface card, that's not soldered in either. Those are all modules. I think it's a well-designed machine. I mean, it's not perfect. They don't make keyboards like they used to. I think Apple really destroyed the laptop keyboard game across the industry. I don't know when we're going to get out of that. But anyway, outside of the keyboard, the keyboard's the weak spot in it for sure. As far as the rest of it goes, the touchpad, it's a glass touchpad on there, which is really nice. I think they should all be glass surfaces, like anything but glass. I think they just shouldn't do that. The screen resolution for me, I think is great. It's a 14 inch to 1080p. I don't see why you want any more than 1080p on that. I don't think that anybody has given me a good reason for anything more than 1080p. Maybe someday, but at this point, I just think it's an absolute perfect package. Nice thickness, lasts a long time on battery. That's probably a really good problem to have. Too much RAM. I'd much rather have that problem than not enough RAM. And you've done several updates, fixes, whatever to the system. And I know you've never complained about having to work on it because that part's been so easy, but this system really isn't that old, right? Like you haven't had it that long. No, I got it in 2020. One of the keys, the scissor hinges broke in it. And so it lost the key and actually the key failed as well. Little things like how the keys are designed is just not good. It's just a victim, I think, of how Apple's destroyed the laptop keyboard. That's how I look at that. Yeah. But as far as the rest of it, it's fine. I did a memory upgrade early on when I got it. In fact, I think you gave me a hard time. I received the machine and it like just sat underneath my desk for a couple of weeks. You uh, kind of braided me just a little bit saying, why haven't you opened it up, Michael? I would never. <laughs> yes, I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's been a great machine since. Uh, so I did upgrade the memory, the RAM, obviously, and then the RAM again. Outside of the keyboard failure, I haven't really had any like actual failures of the computer. It's a nice aluminum gel. It's pretty rugged as far as aluminum goes. That's nice when it's not completely plastic and you're worried about like just something little Cracking. causing it to crack and yeah, destroying yeah. the whole thing. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say it didn't have a couple of dings right around the edges. 
<laughs> ah, it happens. That happens. Like I have to have a case on mine and I didn't have a good proper case on my tablet. And that's why the screen is cracked. And I just haven't gotten around to getting the screen replaced, even though I really, really need to. Magneto is not allowed to touch his new phones until I have a glass screen protector and a case on it. The kids have some new tablets coming. I already have cases and glass screen protectors ordered for them because just like Magneto and I know the way my kids treat things, yeah, they don't get to use these new tablets until <laughs> I can have them fully encased and protected. So my daughter was looking at cases and she's like, mom, I like this one. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work. That's the simple folio case where it like rubber bands in the corner. That is not bumper protected. Nope. You can't have that one. Pick right. a different case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. It happens. We drop our technology, especially portable technology like that. I haven't dropped it. I think just like moving it, I just kind of bumped into something. Just like the edge, like in one corner, it's got a little, little bit of ding. It's not bad. It looks all right. The OpenSUSE sticker on it does make it look great. Oh, you know what? I did forget. I did replace the speakers in it because the speakers did kind of crackle out on it last year. Yeah, I was thinking that there was something else that you'd replaced on it. Yeah. I think maybe the speakers didn't actually fail. I think what actually went wrong is what they used to insulate it, the foam. I think the foam kind of became loose because all plastics degrade over time. Right. If I just would have put maybe a little, a little thin layer of foam, I think it would have stopped being an issue upon further investigation. But, you know, not backup speakers just in case. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for teams, individuals, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation Plus Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show your appreciation for this amazing open source project by signing up for the premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Playing with hardware is lots of fun. I've enjoyed building PCs. And there's uh, some talk that I've read out there on the World Wide Web that the age of PCs, of building your own PC is coming to an end and that PCs are changing. Whether we like it or not, things like the Mac Mini, the Steam Deck, or even the, maybe to a lesser degree, the Atari VCS are changing the way people are gaming on PC and they're becoming more like all-in-one solutions. I have to admit, now that I have a Steam Deck, I've lost the desire to build a specific gaming PC. And that kind of gives credence to that idea that 
building a PC is going to be a thing of the past, probably in the not too distant future. Now, Matt, you yourself have a Steam Deck and you also reduced the size of your PC. So it seems like you might be falling into this camp as well. But I know that Wendy, she likes to build PCs and, and will be building or is working on building a, a new gaming PC. So I, I don't know what you think of this. Is this an actual change or do you think it's make, like a divergence and maybe there's going to be more options of how we build our PCs? Personally, I think that the PC building market is potentially getting smaller. And we are dealing with the things like all-in-ones, all-in-ones that can get the job done for whether you're photo editing, video editing, content creation for playing games or whatever. And people want these small, compact, all-in-one solutions. There are less and less people who are actually wanting to repair their own stuff. And so there is a very large market for these small, all-in-one solutions. I mean, heck, my kids prefer a tablet most of the time for some of their schoolwork. My daughter prefers to be drawing on a tablet compared to a PC um, for the ease of use, the way it feels more like drawing on paper as opposed to having a pad below and then looking up to see like the orientation is a little bit easier back and forth. And so I understand why that market can be reduced. For me personally, especially after building my own system, I didn't necessarily build a system specifically for gaming, but I'm also on like that budget conscious side. Like I know the specific things that I want and I know the specific things that I'm willing to be like, uh, I can upgrade later. And it's so much easier to build the right system with the right parts for less money if I'm just doing it myself. And so even though it's not specifically for gaming, like yes, there are some games played on this system, but that is not what it was built for. I can see me and some other people continuing to do that. But like I said, maybe the market isn't quite as big. I don't know that it's dropped so much that it's going to be gone in the next five years or in the next 10 years. But I can definitely see it diminishing over time. Will my kids want to build their own PC? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned how I've kind of downsized and I've very much been in the category of, you know, build your own PC and stuff. Sometimes I think as we're getting older, sometimes we're looking for a better, I don't want to say better place to put our time investment in, but sometimes a drop-in solution is better than a piecemeal solution. And I'm not saying PC building a PC is a piecemeal solution, but that all-in-one solution sometimes is just a lower barrier to entry. And I do think it has kind of its pros and cons like everything else. Like you mentioned, I've gone to the mini forums HX90G, which is a you know small NUC-sized mini PC. I, I really don't know how else to say it other than that. That's an all-in-one solution for the most. Like, if the board goes, everything goes. You know, I can replace the RAM and I can replace the drive. But if, like, the GPU goes, I need a new board. So I don't have that luxury of, oh, I can just replace the GPU. The new Acer system that I had bought, I can't even upgrade really anything in that. I can upgrade the drive, and that's about it. The RAM soldered to the board, so I'm stuck with whatever I got. The one thing I will give the Steam Deck, while it is a all-in-one solution with the SoC and the motherboard and all that jazz, you can at least buy those and replace 80% of everything else that goes around the system. So I guess 
how we perceive building and buying is going to be different based on device now more than it used to be. Like as an example, you'll have things like the Steam Deck where it's in the grand scheme of thing, really, really repairable. Like, you know, Joy-Con, right. the joysticks veil. If you don't like the current screen, you can go and spend the 99 bucks and get the higher end screen like what you got with yours. You're going to have that type of repairable device or device that you can work on. Or you're going to have something like the Acer that I have, which literally replaced the board and that's pretty much glue and solder down and all that jazz. I think it's really going to be a very device or company dependent kind of deal when it comes to like building PCs or even just basic customization. I mean, when you go to like Apple and you want RAM, it's like, oh, got to buy a bigger board as far as like the cost. It's all very device specific, I think. I think things like the Atari VCS are one of the few devices where it's like, okay, I can at least upgrade some certain components. But I, I think things are becoming more and more, give me a quick drop-in replacement. Right. People are looking for quicker solution turnarounds. And unfortunately, while for us, we grew up building PCs and stuff, sometimes Building a PC is the quicker and easier and cheaper solution. However, people are more dependent on where they're putting their time and their money. So sometimes they're going to be willing to put more money in to have a quicker turnaround for time. So do you think we could end up getting a bounce back? Because I definitely understand what you're saying. People are like, I have these really busy days. I don't have time to build a customer solution. Though I guess you could potentially pay someone to build you a custom solution. But here's this thing. It'll work like it hits the baseline of what I need. It'll be fine. I'll go ahead and use it. But then we are coming to the point where they're like, okay, here's this all-in-one belt solution. Everything is soldered to the board. And if you need this much more, it's X amount of dollars more, which in some cases is absorbent. And do you think we'll eventually get the bounce back where people are like, wait a minute, I can build something for way cheaper than what you're charging me for that upgrade go kick rocks, I'm going to build my own. <laughs> I think we're in an interesting time right now because you have, like Nate talked about his love for right to repair and I'm a big proponent for right to repair. You see projects and companies like Framework as an example that are really about right to repair and all that stuff. They have certain problems, you know, they still have to basically buy the board and stuff, but there's an upgradability to it. And there's a new project that Dell is actually working on. And I'll use that term very loosely because it's more concept, but they have a system where literally you can tear the entire thing down from screen to board in like 10 minutes and everything from what it looked like or they're theoretically saying is that it's replaceable and fixable. We're having this weird kind of pushback on certain ends of the industry and other ends are like going, you know, the Apple, glue it down, nail it down, keep it locked away from people mentality. So, and that's why I think a lot of it really depends on the device and the manufacturer. And I think that's kind of where we're going to end up seeing it. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to follow this over the next few years. It's like two worlds are kind of colliding in a way. You have the laptops, which have historically just been really terrible when it comes to repairability. Now they're becoming more repairable. And then PCs like desktop ATX based, you know, with all the variations, PCs have been you know, basically easy to repair and also to upgrade and to change and to add and remove modules and whatnot. And now these modules are becoming much smaller. 
as a consequence, a lot of these modules are, instead of being on some laptops, obviously not all, there are modules in them. But then you have some devices, you know, you have, you basically have those that would, don't want you to ever open up their machines, you know, <clears throat> Apple, are not easy to work on. But because you have things like, you know, Valve producing the Steam Deck, which can be worked on, or even the Atari VCS, which can be worked on, these are like kind of flying in the face of where the industry is going. So it almost seems like the industry in a way is fracturing based on a right to repair level as well as not. And then the uh, decline of the traditional tower or desktop PC, you know, the PC I built is an all-in-one, well, is a thick keyboard basically. So <laughs> a major fracturing in what's going on here. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. It seems like to me, you're always going to be able to build something but what exactly are you going to be able to build? I have no idea what that looks like, what's going to look like five years from now. I'm hoping that the ITX or the ATX standard continues to persist because it still has a function as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it's outlived its usefulness. I don't really know. I hope it doesn't go away. I don't think it's coming into an end. I think it's kind of like physical media for video games. I think you're going to, or limited edition vinyl records or any of that kind of stuff. I think it, it's going to be a more of a minority for people to purchase and build in that way, but I don't think it'll ever truly go away. After discussing this, I'm just as lost now as I was when we started. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Well, Matt, on your PC that you didn't build to play games on, what is the game of the week this week? A game called The Medium, which is available on GOG, Steam, and I believe EGS or Epic Game Store. I guess you would call it a psychological horror game. Very not family friendly. <laughs> Super family friendly. Okay. Wait, I just clicked on the link. It says, this game contains mature content recommended only for ages 17 plus. Right. You exactly. have to click the OK button to get through to the actual game itself. But I act more like a 12-year-old, so I'm not sure if I can click on that. <laughs> so, Nate, don't press continue. I just hit press continue. Yeah, none of us on here are all that mature. Mm -mm, no, nope. never. So this is a story-focused game and narrative. But the thing that I like about it is there's kind of like a dual purpose to the game. So you have like the real world or the physical world that you're living in. But because you're a medium, you also go to like the best way to describe it is the spirit world. And then in order to advance in the game, you end up doing things in the spirit world, which will end up then in turn affecting things in the real world or vice versa. There's this like dual kind of approach to how the game play works sometimes you have to solve puzzles in the spirit world to affect things and change things in the real world and vice versa and that kind of stuff it's a heavy game as far as like its story and stuff um it deals with a lot of things like identity and whatnot so hmm. again very not family friendly i want to make that very clear if nate's meandering to the steam page or the gog page didn't <laughs> tell you that this is one of those games that I rarely recommend games that are fairly expensive because I think it's 60 bucks right now on GOG, Nate. I'm assuming you clicked on the link. 50. You might get like eight to 10 hours of play, but if you're into horror games and if you're into single player, your story focused games and that kind of overlap, it is really worth getting. You can usually, when it goes on sale, usually it's like around 23, 24. I would say if you're a normal person, wait for a sale. But if you're into like horror games or if you're into kind of story focused games, it, it, you could do far, far worse. Well, this is definitely not a game for me. 
I don't like that dystopian thing. I already have nightmares galore. This would just add to it, I think. Oh, it's definitely not dystopian because it. Put, uh, I think the actual storyline takes place in 1999. All the scenes though, so far look like broken down city buildings. That is the horror element of the game. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not for me. I don't think my fragile sensibilities can handle it. <laughs> I think the graphics in this are some of the nicer ones that you've shared. Definitely not pixelated like last week's game. And I don't necessarily go for the dystopian style games myself. I guess a little bit in some ways. But this is a very interesting premise to the game. It is odd for you to be recommending a game that is this expensive. Right now, standard edition is $50. There is a deluxe edition for 55 though really the best thing you're getting with it is the soundtrack for it so i guess if you're really into video game music and like to have the video game music for the games that you're playing an extra five dollars for that really isn't that big of a deal when you're looking at the total cost of the game it must be good like you must really like the gameplay the storyline all of that in order to recommend something like this at full price i do want to make it clear like i'm only recommending it at full price if you're a horror game fan or if you're into like single player story focused games if you're just a casual um into either of those kind of categories definitely wait for a sale i will totally be honest with that i got it on a sale but what i've paid Actually, I did pay full price because I have it on Xbox too. So, <laughs> paid for full price twice. A game so nice you bought it twice. <laughs> no, it's a game that I bought on Xbox originally, oh. and then it was on sale for GOG. So therefore, I could determine the experience on PC. A game so nice you bought it twice. Actually, Nate, there's a series that I have on multiple different consoles that I, I bought the entire series four different times. Really? Which one's wow. that? Wow. Troopy anime video game that I'm not going to get into because I don't feel like... The braiding? <laughs> yeah, the braiding <laughs> that I know I'm going to get. So, Wendy, while I'm buying games that are totally ownable on PC and I guess you could say Libre, what are you working on? Something with a computer in Libre? Yeah, so Magneto, of course, listens to the show and we did an episode with Bill where we were talking about replacements for the Raspberry Pi because they are still really, really hard to get your hands on. And one of the ones we were talking about is from Libre Computer Boards, the AMLS905XCC, or in short, their code name for this is the La Potato. And my daughter <laughs> got an absolute kick out of the name for it. So this is a two gigabyte ram board you're not going to be doing anything like extra special with it doesn't have a whole lot of ram for many gooey interfaces i know with the two gig board that is a raspberry pi that i have that we've done some robotic stuff on with the build hat i've run it out of memory more than once which is really really painful when it freezes up but this is still a really awesome little board to play with and it has quite a few options when it comes to the software that you can put on it. So it does have a version of Raspbian that you can use, which I found interesting. Ubuntu, Debian, there's one called Laka. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. L-A-K-K-A. It seems to be a distribution that's based for retro gaming simulation. Libra ELEC, 
which has kind of a Cody implementation for it. There's another core version of that. So helping to use it as a media center. They have a version of Android for it, which kind of blew me out of the water. And Armbian, I think what I want to throw on this first is Armbian because I've never played with that before. And I did a little bit of board shuffling this weekend. So I originally had Pihole, Unbound Server, and Sync Thing on the one main Raspberry Pi 4 board with 8 gigs of RAM. I had split that out to having my sync thing on the Raspberry Pi 3B with the 2 gigs of RAM. It was doing pretty well, but I decided that the Raspberry Pi board needs to go to Octoprint. And I was kind of actually hoping that this La Potato could go for that, but they don't have Octopi specifically for this board right now. I don't know if they eventually will. I could probably install Raspbian or Debian and then get Octoprint on it that way, but you can't have just that straight up 3D printing software on this board as of right now. But there's still some really cool options. I haven't really got to play with it yet, but it is a neat little board that has some cool similarities to the Raspberry Pi boards. But one of the things that I find super cool about this, and I've actually looked it up, is you can have eMMC memory on this board, which runs so much faster than the SD card. So while it only has two gigs of RAM, if you are using this for, say, your sync thing server, or it's just running data back and forth that doesn't necessarily have a GUI that you're pulling up, and you've got that much faster data storage on there, I think it could be super, super cool. So I have looked into some of those modules. It fits really nicely into the bottom of the board. Super slick. It doesn't necessarily have as many ports as the Raspberry Pis do. It's kind of a give and take. This still isn't a super expensive board by any means. And it's one that you can currently get your hands on. I can't wait to play with it some more. I was planning on installing stuff on it yesterday because, you know, here was Thursday. I didn't have robotics going on. I didn't have to leave the house and I got sidetracked with all kinds of different things, which is why I didn't make it on time because we were supposed to record yesterday. And it was my fault that we didn't because I got distracted with other stuff. But I will get to play with it here pretty soon. I have freed up an SD card and that's the downside too. I actually need a few more SD cards with all of these different boards that I have going on. We'll make it work. We'll play with it a little bit more. But this is a Christmas present from Magneto after he listened to that episode where we talked about Raspberry Pi replacements, so they're fun single board computers. Make sure you're going to check out that episode because it was actually a ton of fun. Yeah, this is one I think would be a lot of fun to have just because it, it is a lesser expensive. Yes. It's not quite as what feature it's more like a i think just somewhere between a pi 3 and 4 as far as capabilities i think right yeah i'd say it fits there nicely mm-hmm. so it's either a 3 plus or a 4 minus yeah i think it's really cool that you got one something like this is really perfect in my eyes for something like octoprint or even doing like a pi hole or some sort of like a, a single purpose appliance activity just this would be an absolutely perfect machine for that. Also, because of the price, that adds to the awesomeness of it as well. Yeah, exactly. I wish there was a version of this, and there probably is. If you go up from the the potato version of it to one of their nicer boards where it's got more RAM, and then mm-hmm. you can have that faster memory on it, this would be a really, really cool media device to use. 
I need to go ahead and get the cooling solution for it. I really need to just order a whole bunch of little Noctua fans and build me a farm of single board computers. With all the stuff that I've got going on right now, I probably could have one case with one of the massive 200 millimeter fans that I've got on the back of it and just cool and everything. Yeah. The other thing too is having multiple little computers, each doing one task. You don't have to worry about losing a main thing and then being totally up a stream without a paddle, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of advantages to separating all this stuff out and not doing virtual machines. You'll have an entire group of people that will scream at their computers or their earbuds or whatever and say, no, no, <laughs> Nate, you are wrong. It's not as good because, and, and they're probably right. But for me, the way I like to play is everything on its own specific piece of hardware. There's not one single point of failure on your network. Yeah, absolutely. And this could be the brain for a home-built NAS or anything like that, because it's not something that needs a whole lot of RAM to work. And if something happened to this mainboard, it would be pretty easy to do a quick change out. My biggest kicker on this is definitely the EMCC memory. I absolutely love that. I think it's one of the things that the Raspberry Pi boards should have. It doesn't need to come with it. You know, it could be just like this one where you can use the SD card at first. But for some functions, that faster memory is just such a big deal to have. Really cool with something like this that's got a little bit more RAM. If you were wanting to build your own touchscreen interface, you build your own tablet. I can't remember what they were that we were talking about earlier where I was giving you crap about it being something related to Steam Deck, but it wasn't. It's the Steampunk handheld computer. What were they called? Cyberdeck. Yes, a Cyberdeck. So something like that would be awesome in it where you could have the eMMC memory inside of it. Just so many awesome things. It still has a really nice G GPIO header. And I can't wait to play with it. I can't wait to see all of the things that I can do with this cute little board. And maybe I do go ahead and throw Raspbian on it and install Octoprint from there and use it as the board that connects to my 3D printer. The possibilities are endless and I'm sure it's another one of those things that I'm going to get addicted to, hardware addict here, and need a few <laughs> more. But when they're the cost of this board here, it's not as bad to be like, well, I need five or six more. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it could be a problem if left unchecked, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I've got lots of problems. That's just one. <laughs> he's the one who bought this for me. So he's the one starting. This oh, he's the enabler. Obsession. He's the enabler. Yes. He's the enabler for that. Just hand the boards to Magneto if you need them broken. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very cool little board and i'll definitely be updating you guys later on as i actually get to play with it play with some of the functions compare how well it runs where i do have the raspberry 3 and a raspberry pi 4 and can kind of see where does it actually fit in the middle how well does it run and all of that fun stuff i will definitely be snagging some additional memory for it because i mean why not? It's an option and I've got to play with that too. I see no flaw in your logic. We've been talking about 3D printing a lot over the last little while, solutions in building and customizing. You have some new CAD software for us and I am super intrigued by this. 
my youngest daughter wants to build a Lego style hairpin for state and we're running out of time to do that. And maybe this is where I build it. Or is this software not quite ready for that? Where does it fit? Is it something I can learn or is it something for pros only? So this is a piece of software that I think is really amazing. The interaction of how you can manipulate your designs and so forth is super fantastic. It's really intuitive. If you don't need to have any rounds or fillets on the end of any of your parts, this is perfect. You will not have a single complaint. But if you want to do something with various rounds, whatnot, now mind you, FreeCAD can't do it much better. It can do it, just not much better. This is actually great. The interface is great. You go through the one tutorial on how it works and bam, you're off to the races. Once you understand how it works, it is literally simply fantastic. If you're doing like a lot of like structural design things where you have a bracket or some sort of functional piece, I believe this is the perfect piece of software for that. That's all fine and dandy. The issue that I have is I do a lot of parts that I like rounds and fillets because when 3D printing stuff, you don't want to have sharp corners in certain for structural reasons in certain spots. It would take a few extra steps to get it to work like that. You'd have to you know, build your models as such. That's kind of where it becomes somewhat difficult. So when you're saying round, you're talking about having edges that are rounded off. What is the fillet? Oh, sorry. A fillet would be like you take an edge and you round it. You basically like cut an angle in it. So a lot of times you'd use that for like a countersink like screw or whatever. Oh, okay. I gotcha. You got an angle so the fillet will sink below. And there's numerous reasons why you might want to do that. So like if you're doing some like ribs or whatnot, you necessarily want the rib to be you know, completely vertical. You may want to have it drafted or, or whatever. And so you, you want to be able to actually cut some of those down. So this would be great for like, again, if you're doing 3D printing, this would be great. If you're going to do like plastic injection molding, this won't cut it. But if you can do like, I think even like sheet metal design, I think this would be fine for sheet metal as well. Not exactly, but like you could at least convey your idea for like steel structures and whatnot. Yeah, but just not plastic injection molding. It's not there for that. I thought it was a great piece of software I wanted to share with you because it holds it, its references, which is something that FreeCAD can't do, oh. frustratingly. I mean, I can like drag and move things around however I want it. And if I put the constraints in correctly, it interacts so nicely. Like the, the how you interact with a 3D model, it just it, it just behaves so well. Kind of lacks in some features. I did go through the GitHub. I was going like, to do a feature request, but I guess the way they build, how it works, doing the fillets and rounds is not going to happen anytime soon. It's something to play with. If it solves your space problems, well, you know, good in there, solve space, then go for it because it really is a dream to work on. It's simply beautiful. It just can't do a couple of things that I require. So you would say that it is easier to learn than FreeCAD. And if I learned this one first, would it make learning FreeCAD easier? No, it won't make FreeCAD any easier. <laughs> FreeCAD does it its own way and this does it its own okay. way. I mean, I've used so many pieces of CAD, CAD software out there. They're all a little bit different. You know, it's finding the picks and clicks and so forth. And FreeCAD right. does it okay. FreeCAD is just about perfect. The issue with FreeCAD is that if I change, like in the tree of uh, features, if I change something in that tree that's higher up, it will literally blow apart the model below and I have to try and fix it. And a lot of times I can't mm. fix it. So it's actually easier if I just start from scratch, which is Whoa. completely contrary to the idea of a parametric modeler. Until FreeCAD can really fix that issue, I'm still on the search now for a CAD software. And I think I might have one, but it's not an open source solution, but it is for Linux. I think I might end up going this route despite the cost. I'm curious as to what you end up landing on. I've already installed SolveSpace. I have to say I do like 
the user interface looks, it's very dark at first instead of that bright, yes. bright white, which we've talked about in the past of the super brightness of certain applications causing headaches and eye strain and all of that stuff. So I can already see this one being very positive for me in that realm. I'm kind of curious to check it out and see what happens. And maybe we might actually get the hairpin made for my daughter before state. We got three weeks left, though I still haven't ordered filament. So we're not printing anything until <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah, try it out. You'd probably be able to do that hairpin as you would like to do. It does have a lot of those good features for doing simple designs that Angular can do very well. And it respects the parametric tree quite nicely. Yeah, and it's going to be pretty simple as far as shape and all of that stuff goes. The inside of the large brick probably is going to have some kind of curvature cut out of it. And part of the reason why we haven't got started on it is I'm not entirely sure how to go about turning a Lego brick into a hairpin. Might be fun. (laughs) (laughs) It could be interesting. It could end up turning out absolutely awesome or it could be a horrible mess. We'll just have to see how it goes. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit that discourse form, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description, find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter-friendly conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it.